Good to be here with you this morning. It's good to be a part of the service. I was here for the 945 service that took place and glad to be in this service with you today as we look into God's word. Would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you. Thank you that you are here. And that all that we do, we live and we move and we have our being in you, Lord Jesus. Thank you that your spirit is moving among us. And we pray that as we look in your word, that your presence would be made known. That our eyes would be open so we could see. That our ears would be open so we could hear. That our mind would be open so we could understand. And that our hearts would be open so that we can receive. And then we would surrender our lives to you. So that we would live out that which you call us to live out. Thank you, Lord. And we look forward to what you will do in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's talk about unleashing the Barnabas spirit among us. Unleashing the Barnabas spirit among us. The law of universal gravitation, simply stated, is that all objects have weight to them and they produce gravity. And they're capable of attracting one another through these gravitational pulls. When I mention that law, the name that might most readily come to you is the name of Sir Isaac Newton. Maybe you recall hearing about Newton's encounter with an apple that fell from a tree back in the 1600s and it radically changed the way people studied astronomy. But there's another name that might not be so quickly associated with this law. However, it's equally as important as Isaac Newton's name. And that's the name of Edmund Haley. If, you are not, if it were not for Haley, we may never have learned about Newton's findings. So you see, Edmund Haley was the one who strongly encouraged a somewhat reluctant Newton to think through all of his initial ideas. Edmund Haley was the one that helped Newton correct the mathematical mistakes that he had. Edmund Haley was the one who pushed Newton to publish his findings in the mathematical principles of natural philosophy. In fact, Edmund Haley edited, supervised, and financially backed this publication, even though Isaac Newton had plenty of money. Historians call what Edmund Haley did one of the most selfless examples in the archives of science. I find it interesting. Right away, Newton experienced favor for his findings, while Haley, on the other hand, initially received little credit, almost no credit, for his part. And even today, we rarely uh, mention Edmund Haley's name, except in relation to a comet that bears his name, which returns from its orbit every 76 years. Now imagine this. You are a major financial backer, and you are a major encourager to uh, a publication for one of the most revolutionary scientific discoveries, and people only hear your name once Every 76 years. One of the most selfless examples in the archives of science. It was the late Reverend C.S. Kirkendall who put it this way. Haley remained devoted to science, to uh, a devoted scientist who didn't care who received the credit just as long as the cause was being advanced. Didn't care who received the credit just as long as the cause was being advanced. Not too many of us, even as followers of Christ, would be willing to let that happen, would we? I mean, we talk a good game. 
However, we financially back something that turns out to be a revolutionary thing in the kingdom of God, as Newton's law was to the gravitate, uh, 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 law of gravitation was the science, and, and our name really gets mentioned or associated with it. We help to tweak or correct a program in such a way that it reaches thousands of people for the cause of Christ, and our involvement may be only brought up in passing. While we'd like to think that we'd be okay with that, I think if we really thought about it, it would bother us. I was a major contributor to this, but I'm not even getting my name mentioned. You see, we live in a world in a society that, that, that where we're taught self-fulfillment and, and, and self-reliance and making sure that a person makes a name for himself or herself. And, and it's difficult, almost impossible, to want to give ourselves to something that does not have a return or recognition or personal benefit or gain for us. And yet, that's exactly what it means to live a life for God and for his kingdom. So that's what brings us to our text today. We're looking at Acts chapter 4. We'll be looking at other passages uh, as we go along. Uh, And we come across this guy by the name of Barnabas. He was a part of the early church. He was a part of the kingdom advancing and moving forward. Uh, In fact, he was a part of the crowd that had everything in common. He was a part of the crowd that didn't uh, have to worry about uh, anything in need because they had all things in common. They had all things together. They had all things that they were preparing and providing for one another. In that crowd is this guy by the name of Barnabas. We read these words. That's Joseph, who is also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Barnabas means son of encouragement, son of exhortation, son of consolation, one who comes alongside. And then there's this original meaning. It's of Aramaic origin. It means son of the prophet. Hold on to that because we want to come back to that. I look at Barnabas' life. I look at what the scripture teaches us about him and all that he was involved in. And when I look at Barnabas' life, I compare it to our lives and I compare it to the kingdom. And I come to this conclusion. Each and every person who is a follower of Christ is called to live out what I would call the Barnabas spirit. All of us are called to possess the characteristics of a Barnabas spirit. So if that's the case, and that's what we're called to do, and that's what we're called to live out, I guess there's a question that we want to answer this morning, or a question that we want to look at. What are the characteristics of a Barnabas spirit? If this is what I'm called to live out, if I'm called to model the Christ life the way that Barnabas modeled it, what does a Barnabas spirit look like? What are the characteristics? Well, as I look through this, I see four characteristics of a Barnabas spirit that we want to look at today. The first one is this. The Barnabas spirit is one of prophetic encouragement. Remember, his name means son of uh, of son of the prophet. Son of encouragement. So Barnabas spirit is one of prophetic encouragement. What do I mean by that? Now look at this. Barnabas spirit that is a prophetic encouragement takes people where they are. 
sees people for who they can be, calls out the more that's inside of them, and then champions them to the next level. Prophetic encouragement. Takes people where they are, sees people for what they can be, calls out the more that's inside of them, and then champions them to the next level. As we look at Barnabas' life, this is exactly what he did. Let's start first, if I, if I can refer to, is Acts chapter 9. When you get to Acts chapter 9, you come across a character by the name of Saul, who eventually becomes known as Paul the Apostle. But he was Saul here. His role, his goal, his aim was to persecute the church. In fact, one of the descriptions of him is that he was the kind of person who, who, who premeditated, if you will, the killings of those who were coming to faith in Christ. And somewhere along a road called Damascus, he has an encounter with the risen Christ. His life is totally transformed. His life is totally changed. And now this guy who was murdering the church now comes and preaches in the church about the risen Christ. And he's a representative of the church to those who don't believe. Well, there are those who hear the message that he's preaching. They're not happy with him and they set out to kill him. So he he leaves Damascus and wants to go to Jerusalem to be with the other apostles, the other disciples, the other followers of Christ. Here's the problem. They knew him when he was Saul. He was someone to be feared. And now he's coming and they want he wants us to embrace him. They weren't having it. And it took the man Barnabas to come alongside And encourage not only him, but the church. Acts chapter 9 says this, beginning verse 26. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he, meaning Saul, attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him. And how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of God. Of Jesus, Had it not been for Barnabas saying, no, 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 this is what you know him to be. This is what I've known that's happened in him. This is what I've seen in him. Don't just push him away. Embrace him. Bring him along. He can learn from us. He wants to learn from us. He can grow with us. He's a different person. Had it not been for Barnabas, who knows what would have happened with Saul. Someone else that I see here. Acts chapter 15. Now Barnabas and Saul, who has become Paul, are working together. And it's clear that they are going throughout Asia Minor, representing Christ and preaching the gospel. They come to a place where they're off on another, uh, getting ready to leave on another journey. And they have a discrepancy, actually an argument, a disagreement over someone by the name of John Mark. John Mark is someone who was with them on a journey and then left them in the middle of the journey. And then Paul and Barnabas see John Mark differently. Let me read what happens. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. 
But Paul thought best not to take take with thought best not to take him with them. One the one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement, so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. You would have thought because Barnabas discipled Paul that when Barnabas says, hey, you know what? Let's take John Mark with us. Paul would have said, you know, I think you know best. I'm still learning here. So I'm going to listen to you. But Paul, get this, sees John Mark in his current state. Barnabas still sees John Mark for who he can become. Paul forgets that had it not been for Barnabas seeing him for who he could become, he might not have been where he was at that point. Barnabas's mark was this. He constantly saw what was happening in the person. He could see what the person could become. And rather than get stuck on who they were right then, he said, let me walk alongside you. Let me encourage you. Let me develop you. Let me see you through this process. Let me see you through your mistakes so that you become all that God calls you to be. Friends, God challenges each and every one of us. When we walk with one another, let's not see each other for who we are now. Let's look beyond who we are now to who God is calling us to be and walk alongside each other and encourage each other so that we get to that place. I look back at my own life and particularly the last 12 to 18 years, and I don't know that I would be where I am had it not been for a man by the name of Ron Walborn. I was on staff at a church in Pittsburgh and very happy doing what, what I was doing as a worship pastor. And uh, uh, my wife and I were, were on vacation uh, at a camp, and Ron and Wanda Walborn were there also. And Ron sat down with me and he said, Kelvin, what are you going to do to invest in the next generation of worship leaders? All I thought was, have them come on staff at the church where I am, bring them on as interns and build into them that way. And he said, have you ever thought about being a, a, a professor where you are actually training and mentoring worship leaders? Well, I never saw myself as a teacher at all. You know, I, I just, that's just not something that I, I, I thought. Actually, to be, to be honest with you, when I, when I first went into ministry, I worked part-time as a teacher in a Christian school. It didn't go too well. Thank God those students got through and inspired me. Uh, it was just not a good scene. So I could be teaching at a college level? Well, it was a year later that I found myself at Nyack College and spent six wonderful years mentoring, developing, training worship leaders. I still have a connection with Nyack as, I adjunct, uh, as an adjunct professor at Alliance Theological Seminary. But had it not been for Ron Walborn looking at me and saying, I see more in you and I'm willing to invest in you. And I'm willing to walk through your mistakes with you because there's something else that God is calling you to that 
Let's walk alongside. Had he not done that, I don't know that I ever would have been uh, at Nyack. I don't know that I would have even followed God's call to go back to Nyack. But it was because of a Barnabas like Ron Walborn that I was able to do that. Who is God calling you to come alongside and encourage today? Who is God calling you to say, that is the person that I'm asking you to see the more in and walk alongside and develop? A Barnabas spirit is one of prophetic encouragement. Second, a Barnabas spirit is one of grace-filled generosity. Grace-filled generosity. Uh, It's the kind of person who sees his or her financial resources as a tool through which God can work, sees the needs of others as an opportunity for God to work, and sees himself or herself as God's ambassador of his work. Sees his or her financial resources as a tool through which God can work, sees the needs of others as an opportunity for God to work, sees himself or herself as God's ambassadors of God's work. Maybe you can just say a person who who is grace-filled generosity comes to the place that everything I have really is God's. And the way I use it is because of him. Notice what we saw in our text. Here's Barnabas, had some property. Barnabas was a man of some means. And he takes this property... And he sells it. He comes to the community. He lays the money at the, at the, on the table with the apostles and just, and just leaves it there like however it is to be used. This is for the kingdom. He was wealthy. He could have used his money any other way. But he saw what he had as this is not mine. This belongs to Jesus. I don't hold on to it. While he's given it to me, I don't own it. He owns it. And all of the resources that I have belong to him. I'd go even further and say, I don't think it was just about money for Barnabas. I think it was about his life. I think he had come to the place where he said, all of who I am belongs to him. And so I own nothing. Because it all belongs to him. That's a hard thing. Very hard thing. When it comes to resources, all of what I have belongs to Jesus. And I like to see what Jesus has provided in the bank account. And it gets a little hard to let go of it. I remember one time when uh, I got a call from a, a former student. And I have the student's permission to share this story. He and his wife uh, were just starting out. Uh, they came to a difficult spot, and he called me. I was at a conference uh, on, the, on the West Coast. I was, I was leading a, a seminar and, and leading worship, and I got a call from him, and I picked up the phone, and he said, hey, Kelvin, I'm in a tough spot. I don't know who else to call, and I'm just asking if you can help me. And so I asked him, okay, so what, what do you need? He told me the amount. I had that amount in the bank, but I had it set aside for something else. And as he's talking, you know how God speaks and you pretend you don't hear what God is saying? Yeah, I had one of those moments. And the Lord said, give it to him. So I'm listening to his conversation, but internally I'm arguing with the Lord and going, God, you know that's set aside for this. And if I give him that, how is this going to be taken care of? And the Lord said, give it to him. So I said, okay. 
Jeff, what is it that you need? He told me. We figured out a way to get it to him, and I gave it to him. I kid you not. Three days later, I received from this place an unexpected honorarium that was more than what it was that the Lord said, give. Now, I'm not telling you that story so that you get in your mind, well, you know, go ahead, do this, and God's always going to give back more. No, that's not where I'm going with this. What I'm, why I'm saying this is because God needed to use that to remind me that what I had belonged to him. It wasn't mine. It was his. And I was trusting in what was there as the provision. And God was teaching me, I'm your provision. I'm your provider. All the resources I have, you can have access to. But are you going to trust me? Are you going to trust me? Barnabas came to a place in his life where he realized, I'm a person of wealth. But all the resources I have, they're not mine. They belong to Jesus. And he is the one who leads. He is the one who directs. So a person of uh, prophetic encouragement, a person of, gener- uh, of, of generosity here, uh, a grace-filled generosity. And then third, Barnabas' spirit is one of spirit-filled trustworthiness. Spirit-filled trustworthiness. What do I mean by that? Uh, uh, Barnabas' spirit is a person who operates under the spirit's leading and anointing. Person who has Barnabas spirit displays the characteristics that match his or her anointing. And a person who has a Barnabas spirit has a track record that can be trusted. As I look at Barnabas' life, I come to this story in Acts chapter 11. We find in this chapter that the church is growing, it's expanding, and because of persecution, the church is no longer centralized in Jerusalem. It has expanded beyond Jerusalem. And now the church, the gospel is in a place called Antioch. And in the place called Antioch are not Jewish people. They are Gentile people. These are non-Jews. And all of a sudden, the gospel is being proclaimed to non-Jews. And there are non-Jews coming to faith in Jesus from the Greco-Roman world. And word gets back to Jerusalem where there are Jewish believers and there is this problem because in their minds, the gospel is only for the Jews. And now we're hearing about the Holy Spirit breaking out and people coming to faith in Christ in Antioch. This just doesn't sit well. And they decided we got to go check this out. We got to go figure this out. We got to go find out what it is that we're hearing. Guess who they send to go check it out? Man by the name of Barnabas. Here's the reason why. Acts chapter 11, beginning at verse 22. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Why? For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. They could have called anyone from the church to go and check this out. They could have sent anyone from Jerusalem to go and check this out. But they chose 
Barnabas. Because he was filled with the spirit. He had proven character. And they knew that he was a man of encouragement and faith. Friends, please hear me on this. When we walk with Jesus, character matters. And he not only wants to increase the gifts that he's given us, he also wants to develop the Christ-like character within us. So that, if I can put it this way, the character matches the anointing. And who you are matches what God is doing in and through you. They chose Barnabas because his character matched his anointing. And on top of that, they knew that he was a man of great faith. And so if he went and he checked it out and he came back and told us about this report and it was good with him, then it would be good with us. As we are, we are encouraging people, as we are generously building into people, God is also building into us his Christ-like character so that our walk matches our talk. Man of spirit-filled trustworthiness. And then finally, Barnabas' spirit is one of humble, faithful service. Humble, faithful service. It's the kind of person who doesn't care who's in charge, the kind of person that has no problem taking the back seat, the kind of person that is only concerned for God's glory. I want to just trace something here. I want to look at Acts 9, Acts 13, and Acts 15. So let me just quickly go through it. Acts 9, Barnabas has to commend Saul, who becomes Paul, because if he didn't, Paul would not be a part of the group in Jerusalem. So you got Barnabas training, mentoring, commending Saul. Then we jump to Acts chapter 13 and we read these words. The Holy Spirit says this, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So Barnabas and Saul are now teamed together by the Holy Spirit. And then later on in Acts chapter 13, Saul's name is changed to Paul. And instead of reading Barnabas and Paul at that point, we read these words, Paul and his companions. And then later on in that same chapter, we read Paul and Barnabas. We've gone from Barnabas and Saul to Paul and Barnabas, and then in Acts chapter 15 and continuing, we hear about Paul. But wait a minute. Where's Barnabas? Remember in Acts chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas have a disagreement. Now, Barnabas could have stayed around and said, wait a minute, I trained you. I encouraged you. I stood up for you. I made sure you were on, on, on solid footing here. The Holy Spirit set us both apart. And now you're going to try and outlead me? That's just not going to happen. That's not what Barnabas did. Barnabas said, okay, 
you go ahead and you, you go on this mission. I'll take John Mark with me, and I'll go off, and I will encourage him. And, and, and he blessed Paul in what God was doing. You rarely hear about Barnabas from this point on. But you see the effects of Barnabas' ministry later on because the same Paul who said get rid of John Mark later on calls for John Mark because of the work of Barnabas' ministry in his life and says, hey, send him back to me. Uh, He can be of encouragement with me. You see that pattern? If Barnabas was all about Barnabas, that disagreement, would have become an explosion in the church. But Barnabas wasn't all about Barnabas. Barnabas was about the glory of God. And so as that happened, he was able to say, okay, I can give up the platform. God, what's the next platform that you have for me? And move forward. I read this and I see this and I'm reminded of something that happened in my college days. Well, as a music major, uh, we often got a chance to write songs together. And I would write a number of songs with other music majors or other people at, at school, and some of those songs would be used uh, in different music performances. Well, uh, a friend of mine and I were asked to write a song for the chorale that was going to be used on tour that year. And as most college students did, uh, we waited to the last minute. And here we had, we were within our last 12 to 18 hours of making sure the song was ready to go because we had to present it at the next chorale, uh, at the next chorale rehearsal. So we decided we're going to pull an all-nighter and get this song done. Things are going well. We started off the first couple of hours. We're thinking, we're talking, writing things down. And then all of a sudden, I noticed as I was turning to notate something, I'm, convers- I'm having a conversation with myself. I look over and this guy has gone to sleep. Now, we got to have this ready for the next day. For the next several hours, I'm working on this song by myself. I get down to the last part make sure everything's done, and kind of nudge him, and he wakes up. So I show him the song. He looks it over, and he says, okay, this looks looks good. Yeah, how about if we change this, and how about if we change that? And So we made those changes, and now we're ready to go. Put the title on the song, and we come to the place where we're talking about our names on the sheet of paper. And he makes the suggestion, why don't we put our names in alphabetical order? My last name is Walker. (laughs) Let's just say that his last name started with a letter that came before W. I was not happy. I did it. (laughs) But I was not happy. I stayed up all night. I'm the one that put this together. You make a couple of changes, and now your name goes first? I kid you not, as I'm going through this internal conversation, this is what I heard the Lord say. Who cares who gets the credit as long as I get the glory? Who cares who gets the credit as long as I get the glory? Let's just say that guy's name went first. But more than that, I learned a lesson about my own heart motivation. Because you see, there are times I can do some things and have to question why am I doing it? 
Is this really about me? Or is this really about him? When I look at Barnabas' life, I don't see that as a problem. I don't see where that had to be a question. At any time, Barnabas could have said, I gave the money to the church. At any time, Barnabas could have said, I trained you, Paul. At any time, Barnabas could have said, I was the one who made sure things were going well in Antioch. Not once did he do that. At the end of the day, it was all about God's glory. At the end of the day, is it all about God's glory for you? Is it all about God's glory for me? If we are people who possess, unleash, and model the Barnabas spirit, we can take our lives, look at the life of Christ, and match them up. Because I would submit to you that's how Barnabas lived his life. And everything he did was to honor Jesus. Barnabas' life, Barnabas' spirit is one of prophetic encouragement, one of grace-filled generosity, one of spirit-filled trustworthiness, one of humble, faithful servants. And these are the spirit-filled character traits that God calls every believer to display. And so in closing, I ask you this question. For whom and to whom is the Lord calling you to be a Barnabas? But then here's the second question. Even if God has not identified a person, do you display a Barnabas-like spirit in how you live your life? Do you display in how you live your life the kind of life that says, Lord, my desire is to honor you. I give you my life. I give you my heart. I give you my soul because all that I do is for you. As we close, I invite you to stand and let's sing this together as a testimony to our heart's desire that we want to honor the Lord in all that we do. This is my desire to honor you. Lord, with all my heart, I worship you. All that's in me, I give you praise. All that I adore is in you and Then the chorus, Lord, I give you my heart, I give you my soul, I live for you alone. Would you sing with me? This is my desire to honor you, to honor you, Lord, with all my heart, Lord, with all my heart, I worship you. I give you praise, all that I adore, all that I adore is in you. Lord, I give you my heart, Lord, I give you my heart, I give you my soul, I live.
desire. This is my desire to honor you, to honor you, Lord, with all my heart, Lord, with all my heart, I worship you. All I have within me, all I have within me, I give you praise, I give you praise, everything that I adore and all that I adore is in you. Lord, I give you my heart, Lord, I give you my heart, I give you my Lord, I give you my heart. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I live for you alone. Every breath that I take, every moment I'm awake. Lord, have your way in me. Lord, have Lord, have your way in me. Lord, have your way. Lord, have your way in me. Amen.